my brothers that are out there, you know, struggling with their deployment or, you know, life in general, you know, I tell them, to, hey, to stay strong and to keep holding on and to understand, you know, you're here for a reason and that, you know, your life and what you're doing does have purpose. Hey everyone, this is Greg Washington. I have with me today Sean. Sean Payton, how's it going over there? I'm doing great, man. It's great to uh, connect after all these years. Good, good. It definitely is. I want to welcome everybody to this episode of Guards Down. We'll be talking with Sean about his military career and some of his experiences that that he's going through and just have him share some light on, you know, on, on his story. Sean, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, thanks, Greg. Yeah, I... Well, first of all, I attended West Point with you. Uh, We graduated in 2005, and I was an officer for 10 years. Uh, I spent the first half as an infantry officer in the 101st Airborne Division, and I was, you know, lucky throughout my career to basically only command soldiers in small combat units. Like, I I had hardly any staff time, so I had two platoons, a regular rifle platoon and a scout and sniper platoon, and we did 14 months in Iraq and southwest Baghdad, came back. Uh, from that, went to uh, Special Forces Assessment Selection, got selected, went to the you know next two years of, of training, and got my Green Beret, and then showed up in 2011 to 5th Special Forces Group back at Fort Campbell. And, uh, you know, that's an that's a interesting world, fast-paced world. So, you know, three days after taking over my team, I'm, I show up, and I'm a new captain, a new commander, but I'm the youngest guy on the team. Three days later... You know, we were out in uh, Coronado, uh, cross-training with SEAL Team 5 and Special Boat Team 12, like on my fourth day, <laughs> like scaling the side of ships. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then we actually stopped that three-week exercise earlier because Secretary Rumsfeld signed an order uh, that he needed more Green Berets in Afghanistan. So we come back, redeploy back to Fort Campbell. And then, you know, three weeks after that, I'm uh, on the Afghan-Pakistan border. So then six weeks taking over the team where, you know, we're in a small team in living in villages and doing SF stuff uh, sort of in the thick of it. So it was fast paced. Um, and then we got back from Afghanistan. Again, I got lucky. I got a second command. So I went to a uh, special forces uh, combat dive team, went down and got my dive bubble at Key West and did that. And then did one year of staff time and decided it was time to get out after 10 years. So uh, that was my military career. It was intense and we can get into, you know, more stories and details, but and then ever since then, I've gone the entrepreneur route, got my MBA, and now I have, uh, with some of my partners, a martial arts company. We do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and MMA. We have three locations around Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, and uh, then I also now just recently started doing some uh, business co- uh, leadership cons- consultant work, consultations, some speaking, and trying to, what I'm really trying to do now is share the leadership lessons and all the intense experiences that we get, you know, really shoved down our throats in the military, right? It's such a fast, but you just have to learn so much. And I feel like they cram 40 years of leadership experience into 10. 
And I try to take that with, you know, now my business experience and, and bring a unique perspective to leaders and organizations. I got you. I got you. And, and family wise, uh, I just got married in September. Uh, and so, yep. So, uh, young wife and I are living in Nashville and, uh, hoping to, we're, we're kind of in the middle of the city right now. So it's it, sort of a stereotypical, all right, let's get some money together, maybe get a house and a little outside the city and, and hopefully start a family soon. So doing well mm-hmm. in that front. Indeed. Well, look, before we get started, give a shout out to your, your MMA company and your leadership company. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, man. Yeah. So uh, uh, the MMA company is called Legion Jiu-Jitsu. Um, we needed after uh, Fifth Special Forces Group is kind of known as the Legion. So that's where I got the name from. And uh, yeah, we're in and around Nashville. You can find us at legionjj.com. If you're ever in this area, please check us out. Uh, hugely successful. We're the fastest growing martial arts company in the Southeast right now. Uh, and uh, and then as far as the leadership coaching business, it's Stronger Leaders, Stronger Profits. So you can go to strongerleaderstrongerprofits.com, find me on the same you know, username on Instagram and Facebook and YouTube, and you'll find a bunch of uh, cool content. And, uh, and then I'm just under my name, you know, Sean Patton on LinkedIn. So I got you. Good deal. Good deal. I'm going to definitely have to check out the MMA, MMA side of it. Yeah, absolutely. Good opportunities right there. Okay, so of course, you know, the show is all about PTSD and, and grief, right? Um, what I've been trying to do is bring some normalcy around just being able to talk about trauma and grief. And hopefully that, you know, it may help someone out there. It may help us just to get a little further along in being able to deal and cope with it, right? So I always like to start out, you know, with my guests understanding their background. So, you know, my first question is, do you feel like you were prepared to handle grief and trauma growing up? I would say not to the extent uh, that you see in the military. I think that, uh, you know, one, one thing that's outside, I think when people think about grief in the military, they think about when you are around casualties or, you know, you see something specific happen or you know, you're in a firefight or something that's, you know, super intense. And that's like, that's all that you're, you're dealing with. And what I've come to realize is, you know, whether it's through dreams or thinking through stuff or having anxiety, just the, the intensity of almost all the experiences of that environment that you're in, I think is something people, especially outside it, about outside of the experience don't really understand, you know, like just, going through ranger school, right? Or jumping out of airplanes or uh, the unknown of getting ready to deploy and take care of your family, being away from your family and just being taken from normal day-to-day life and thrust in and out of normal society. You know, one day we're all going to Starbucks, we're driving to work, we're doing everything everybody else does. And the next day you're in the middle of the desert, you know, surrounded by a barbed wire and, you know, talking about, you know, doing mission planning and worried about mortars and then you go back to it. Oh, now you're back at Starbucks, you know? So it's just, I think that back and forth, that jarring uh, sort of environment, and it could even be a training environment, just the intensity of some of the training we do, right? We did at West Point, the intensity of that, that experience, but just, you know, going and doing live fire ranges around explosions and the intensity of, uh, you know, you're, you're shooting live bullets whizzing by you while somebody else does it and, you, and trying not to hit each other and trying to do everything right. Like that in itself, uh, you know, can create some, some lasting trauma and, uh, 
uh, it's just an intensity that if you, you're just forced to switch gears between, I think, extremes in a way that most people aren't. And just having to go back and forth to that, I think it's just not normal, right? It's not what our bodies are sort of meant to do over and over and over again. Yeah. And in the military, it's sort of that lifestyle gets normalized. And then sometimes it's not until you get out that you realize that some of these maybe thoughts you have or some of the uh, emotional uh, responses that maybe aren't quite right, or maybe if they just manifest itself outside of, you know, nightmares and anger, it yeah. can also come from just in like your relationships, like your, your, I see, you know, we see a lot of soldiers, their inability to have a real close relationship, right? A lot of them, whether it's sort of like womanizing or drinking or doing stuff like that, they, they keep people at bay because of the lifestyle that you're sort of forced to uh, live. Yeah. And so I think a lot of those things get, get downplayed. Um, and and they're, they're, it's sort of, it seems normal why you're in it. And then you get out of it and you come to the civilian side and you're like, man, this, like this wasn't normal. And I've, I've treated people a certain way or I've done certain things. It, it, I wouldn't have done it that way if you hadn't been sort of like, put through those experiences. Yeah. So you, you, you bring up a really great point and I liked how you, you, you put it together, right? So the military as a whole is its own culture, just like you have, you know, a Caucasian or African-American or, you know, uh, ethnic or, or, you know, religious culture, right? And so the military has its own culture and, and me and the General Lennox, we were, we were speaking about this. And so you, you hit the nail like right on the head when you're like, you're, in your culture, you're, you're living, breathing, you know, the military life. And to you, it's normal, right? Because everybody's around you doing it. And you don't realize that you were living this very rugged, rigid life, like, like on the edge, right? Mm -hmm. All the time until you come home and now you're, you're having a transition into, you know, a, a, another lifestyle. And so that's when people start to realize that, okay, well, yeah, I might have PTSD or I might not have processed, you know, something like I should have or needed to. And now, you know, it's starting to come out in other ways. So I, I definitely, definitely agree, agree with you on that. Um, I, I like how you put that. So throughout your, your time as a leader, right, in the military, in the army, infantry, and also SF, What's been helping you to cope? You mean like during the time when I was in or now? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like when, you, when you were in, mm -hmm. you know, what were some of the things that you were doing that just, just allowed you to, you know, to, to get through? Uh, I, I don't know. For me, you know, it was, I turned that light switch off. That feeling of emotions and stuff, for me, I, it was just a flick of a switch. And, you know, my whole mind frame was, all right, you know, ready to be a soldier, we knew from our freshman year, our plebe year, that we were going to get deployed. And so, you know, just getting in that mind frame of almost desensitizing, you know, yourself and your feelings so that you can go out and do your job. Because, I mean, you can probably attest more than everybody just the type of decisions and choices that we have to make and we're putting people's lives at, you know, at stake. How are you dealing with it? Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. I. I think we're both kind of talking about this, that light switch that you, you really have to flip or that desensitization. And 
and you have to develop that switch. Um, I know one thing that was, it's been hard for me in the transition out is that a lot of people don't have that. Like that was just, I feel like everyone that we were around, you sort of had that, right? You're like, Oh, it's, you know, it's mission time. It's training time. Boop. You're off. And it's just like mission first. That's it. And then you could come back. And that's not like a normal uh, ability that most people develop because they don't have to. So then they get emotional over something like, why even like, this is not the time to get emotional. It's time to do work, you know? And that's been a hard, a hard thing to deal with, you know, out of that. But I, I think that when I was in, you know, things that helped me obviously were, uh, you know, having an outlet, you know, having, uh, you know, for me, it was like, it was working out really hard. It was, um, you know, doing things like prepping for dive school. I did Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So like the martial arts and that, and, and what I did, I think it's important. Uh, and we can talk more about sort of finding a tribe afterward, which I think is critical, but while you're in, I think people need to have, or need to seek out a group, a tribe of people to be around that's supportive. That isn't their unit, right? Like for me, it was going and doing jujitsu with a different group of people, even though a lot of them were in the military still, but it wasn't that it wasn't the group I worked with. And we had a different dynamic, right? Cause when you're in the military, it's so it, there's such a hierarchy and everyone has a role. And so you're just like, all right, well, you're the platoon leader or you're the platoon sergeant or you're the gunner or you're the FO or whatever your job is. And that's just the role. That's like who you are. That's your identity. And I think it's important to find a group of people, whether it's a good group of friends or through a sport or, you know, whatever that is. You know, some people like to do the, like the tough mutter Spartan race thing, or whether it's just camping or climbing or shooting or whatever you have a hobby but to get out where you can be around a group of people and you don't have to be, you know, Captain Sean, you get to just be Sean. Yeah. Right. Cause you have to start set. You have to, otherwise you're not able to separate the two, you know, like who you, what your job is and your role at work just starts to become, well, that's, that's all I am. And that's where I think a lot of uh, military members get, have such a hard time transitioning is because for the last five, 10, 15, 20 years, They've, they haven't been just, you know, Greg or Sean. And by the way, I'm in the military. They've been, I'm Sergeant Greg. I'm Sergeant Sean. You know, I'm, I'm Major Sean. That's who I am. That's just like my identity. All of a sudden that goes away. And it's almost the same thing happens to kind of like athletes, right? That don't develop that. The same sort of thing. It's like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a football player. Well, what about when you're not? You know, when I was at West Point, I wrestled growing up. I wrestled, I wrestled for two years at West Point. And for a few different reasons, I decided to stop after our, our sophomore year. And, you know, it's a similar thing where since I was 11 years old, I was, I was the wrestler. I was the Sean. That's what I did. You know, it was my identity. All of a sudden, that's not there anymore. And it's like, whoa, wait a minute. What, who am I now? And I think that for soldiers, it's so important while they're in, to, you have to really put some thought into it and work into making sure you're developing and realizing that what you do is not who you are. And, and you have to find a way to develop, you know, Sean, Greg, Sam, Bill, whoever, Sally, whoever, you have to find out and develop who you are as a person outside of the function that you serve in the military. Right, man, I, <laughs> you hit some good ones. Um, that, that whole, that's all I am, right? In the sense of, you know, I'm, I'm training to be this soldier and you, you literally forget the personal side or the, or, or the human side of you and doing all of this training and going out and doing all that action. So, you know, to, to get back and to reinforce that 
you still have to learn who you are and develop that personal side of you. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's awesome advice right there. Um, tough question. Yeah. What's the hardest thing you've had to deal with so far? Oof. Um, so I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll give you two, one while I was in and transition out. And then one, since I got out, uh, when I was in and I was in SF, I got back from Afghanistan, which was, uh, for me, the, by far and away, the most violent deployment I was a part of, you know, and in the military, another thing, I think it's hard to, I don't want to run out of rabbit hole, but you just made me think of this, you know, we, we almost like always invalidate our own experiences, right? Like when I was in, cause you, you all, we always know somebody who had it worse. And if we didn't, if we're like, oh, that, that was crazy. But, but you know, Hey, at least it wasn't Vietnam. Right. Yeah. And, the, and the Vietnam guys are like, well, yeah, but at least we weren't, you know, we didn't lose our feet from frostbite like Korea and Korea is like, well, at least we didn't have tanks like world war two. And they're like, well, trench warfare. It, it, it's just, we always sort of do that. And, and with each other and it, and I, I think we do ourselves a disservice and we sort of like downplay uh, our own experiences. But, you know, for me in Afghanistan, especially compared to Iraq, which, you know, we, we got shot at and there was some more, that sort of thing, IEDs. But uh, when I was in Afghanistan with my special forces team, you know, we got ambushed six of our first eight patrols and um, we're in a pretty violent area. And so I didn't realize that I was sort of running at this just intensity level all the time and you get back and that's like you're you're not you're not adapt you're, you're used to running and being this this in, intense environment all the time or used to just like uh having this high stress you know uh cortisol spiking stuff going on all the time and all of a sudden it goes away and you don't feel like that doesn't feel normal and what happened to me was actually i ended up getting a bad relationship like i'd never really been in a relationship with someone where it was unhealthy or they were unhealthy. And I, and looking back and I, and I didn't know it's the time, obviously, but this is, you know, in retrospect, yeah. uh, you know, I end up move, doing everything we tell our soldiers not to do in relationships, right? It was like, Hey, you just met her. Don't move her out to live with you. Hey, Hey, uh, you know, if she, Hey man, she's doing that. That's crazy. You, you can't, don't give her the keys to your house. Don't give her you know, all this stuff that we tell our soldiers. We see them make mistakes as officers. I like made all those mistakes and gotten in a emotionally and uh, verbally and, and, and a few times physically abusive relationship. And, and I was still in SF and I was like, but you know, back, back home, it was almost, it almost filled that void of intensity. I was almost like continuing to put myself in the state that I had gotten used to. I had replaced the stress of combat and the intensity of combat with the intensity and the unknown of a bad abusive relationship. Yeah. And I ended up again, I guess all my family, I ended up marrying her <laughs> and it got, you know, and it got to the point I had to have people from my team come with me because I, I was at, at one point I was, it gotten so bad that we got an argument and I was in the closet and the guest bedroom. Cause I just kept leaving the situation. I'm like, I, I can't do this. I need to move away getting space, trying to get away from this conflict. And she kept moving forward. And at one point, you know, I'm in the closet of my guest bedroom and she's blocking the door, screaming at me. And I'm like, please just go away. Please go away. And then I get up to try to leave. And she's like, please touch me because she knows that she calls the police are going to come get me and it's going to ruin my career. So here I am 
having to be, you know, verbally abused in my own house in, in a corner huddled in a closet is what, this is the situation I've gotten myself into. Yeah. Uh, and, and knowing that if I try to get out, it could potentially, then I, I have to, you have to take that or potentially have negative consequences for my career I've worked so hard for. And I got myself in that situation because I kind of, we talked about before, I didn't, I wasn't able to process. I didn't realize at the time what I was doing. And so that was one of the hardest things was to sort of realize that I had, I had done that to myself and to get out of that situation and go through the divorce and all that stuff was, I mean, I have, I have PTSD from that marriage, you know? And I think that that's something to be wary of too, is that I, I created this other situation now that really was hard and I had to deal with for years. Hey guys, it's Jerome. Greg and I wanted to invite you to the community that we created for the whole Guards Down family. Jump on Facebook or check the show notes for the Guards Down Facebook. There you'll be able to find a community of folks who are committed to raising awareness about complex grief and PTSD. Look forward to chatting with you guys in the group. Now let's get back to the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's one. And the other thing I would say the hardest is, uh, so my my second team, my dive team, I had an awesome team, loved the guys, had a great experience, had a great relationship and a uh, really high performing team. Cause I don't, people probably don't know this, but like in special forces, uh, which is already an elite group, right? You already have the military, which is an elite group. Then you have combat soldiers, then you have SF guys. And then within that, like dive team is considered sort of like the elite of the elite in a lot of ways. Cause it's, it's dive school is physically the hardest school I ever did in the military. And I did a lot of them. And so it was a young team and a, and a really high motivated team and had a great relationship with everyone. Well, sort of unexpectedly I would buy, I was by far and away the most senior officer in the battalion that still had a team. And so they moved me off my team when I didn't want to. And then they happened to get deployment orders a few months later. So they, they went to Afghanistan. I stayed back and did a staff job. And while they were deployed, um, they had in June of 2014, the worst friendly fire incident that we've had in the global war on terror and there was a mistake and they dropped two JDAM bombs on a friendly grid instead of an enemy, enemy grid and killed uh, like 16 total, um, including locals and conventional, and then killed two guys on my team um, who I was very close with. One particularly I, I was, I had a really close relationship with um, just as friends, you know, we just got along with yeah. one. So losing, losing them uh, that way. And then also, having that, that survivor's regret that, you know, that they lost, that they were lost. And, and of course, you know, you have to be back intellectually, like it's just the way the world is, but you always think like, Oh man, I wasn't there. You know, I wasn't the commander on the ground and had some more conversations with some of their family members and stuff like that. And that, that's something that I still uh, emotionally, you know, deal with years later when, you know, cause I, I go see their family, especially one of them in, in California a lot and they made a memorial and, and it's just that, that was, that was difficult. And I think that's, that survivor's guilt is something that when you lose somebody, um, if you, you know, whether it's a, a peer or a subordinate or a superior that you've served with and you always have that in the back of your head, like, you know, I should have been there with them. Right. Yeah. Those, those two things were, those two things were significantly different experiences, but probably the two hardest things uh, trauma wise to deal with while I was in the military. 
Okay, let's 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 go back to the first one and kind of break that down because you hit some very good points that um, you know someone could definitely pick up from, right? So PTSD is not just from a deployment. It's not from, you know, violence. It's traumatic experiences, right? So traumatic experiences, yes, from the military. You can also have traumatic experiences from a relationship. So, I mean, you, you, you hit the nail on the coffin again with that one. And always being in such a very high intensity environment where you constantly have those adrenaline rushes, right? That then becomes a, uh, like an addiction, right? Where you, you, you're seeking those adrenaline rushes. I, I know, I know I did. I remember, you know, me getting out and part of my transitioning um, was mo- my motorcycle, right? Yeah. I got the biggest, fastest motorcycle you could think of. And there were days where I would be so pissed off at the world that I would go get on my bike and haul ass down the highway. I mean, I've hit 205 on my motorcycle and as loud as my bike could scream, I was screaming just as loud, like literally. And just, just the frustration, but just being able to come down off of that high and then, okay, saying, all right, well, that was stupid. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't need to do this no more. Um, and so, you know, I was lucky, right? Because the slightest little gust of wind or patch of rocks, that could have been the end of me, right? You were lucky because had you been in, you know, that not in the right mind and, you know, someone pushing you to, to do something you don't want to, but you know that that aggression and stuff is in you, that could have ruined your career, you know, in, in, in the rest of your life. And so, you know, I, I want to take a moment to just at least acknowledge the fact that, you know, recklessness leads to bad decisions, right? Mm-hmm. So having to, having to break bad habits, right, and establish good behaviors, um, I, I want to get into that part before we talk about um, the survivor's remorse and, and, and you know, and the... And, and the the loss of you know one of your teammates, so I I mean, what what advice would you give someone who is dealing with recklessness, right? Those those, you know that that recklessness that leads to bad decisions and you know leads to you know PTSD or trauma, you know, like in relationships as well. Like like what what advice would you give for those two first? Yeah, man, I, I agree. I think that this is, you know, one of the most, probably the most prevalent form uh, or manifestation of uh, the sort of military lifestyle that people I think don't, don't acknowledge enough or don't talk about. It's probably one that almost everyone can relate to um, when they really think about it. And I think, you know, I think the biggest thing is, well, probably two, two things. One I know it wasn't until really I was going through that divorce that I had my, I actually sat down with a counselor for the first time um, and did marriage counseling and a therapist. And that's such a, um, I, th- I hope, I think, you know, since then uh, it's less sig- stigmatized to do that in the military, but who knows? Um, I know at the time that wasn't really a thing that was, that you did was go talk with someone. And I think that's, it's so critical 
not to just go through, you know, we did like the redeployment stuff and you're just like, all right, well, don't tell them you're fine. Tell them you don't have nightmares. Tell them you don't, you know, because otherwise it's going to go on your record and then you're going to have this and then that's going to, and that was what you were always kind of like told or always understood, but it really is important to be okay talking with someone about this and get those out in a safe space. And I think that's, that's super important. I think one, and then two, like you said, the reality is you need to find an outlet. Like you, you have, you just have to, right. It's just, you can have, you can have the best counselor and the most, the best conversations ever. But if you don't find like, you have to acknowledge that's what it is and recognize it early and find a healthy outlet for that. And you know, that's the reason you have keyword is healthy. Healthy, healthy healthy outlet. Right. And you know, and it still can be extreme stuff. I mean, that's just who people are, but rather than, you know, driving your motorcycle 200 down the highway, like maybe go get skydive certified, (laughs) you know, or, you know, something like that. Um, you know, find, find a way, Hey, go, go join your local MMA gym and get in there and do some sparring rounds. Like get, get that out in a, in, in a, in a controlled environment instead of, you know, with a, with a whiskey bottle or, you know, down in Broadway and downtown Nashville, getting in fight with Cowboys or, you know, uh, the other things that, that we see manifest and have, you know, may or may not have happened to some of us. Um, so that, I think that finding a, a, a way that to get to express that and get that out, um, you can do that without, like you said, without being reckless and without making these bad decisions. And if you don't, you're going to end up doing it. Right? You're going to end up going too fast. You're going to end up getting in fights at the bar or drinking too much, or you're going to end up in a, an abusive relationship. You're, you're, it's going to, it's going to come out, right? Or, or you're going to get sick. Like it, it has to come out. It has to. And, and acknowledging that and then channeling that energy, I think is, is so important. Yeah. So you, the, the, the two points you brought were um, finding someone you can talk to counseling you also mentioned earlier you know finding a tribe outside of your your work right yeah. that, that you can you can be yourself in and then the other one of course is you know finding a healthy outlet so i i mean you you those are those are great points and i remember having to learn all of that the hard way mm-hmm. right and so you know hopefully someone to hear this and they'll get it and be like, all right, let me, let me put these measures in place first so that, you know, I can, I can try this before it gets down that road of, you know, going too far. So, I mean, I myself am divorced as well. So I I definitely understand where you're coming from and feel you. Uh, I know for us, uh, and we had kids, um, I knew I had to fix that bad relationship. Right. And, and, not just for the kids, but for myself and for, you know, and, and for her as well. Uh, just because at one point we did love each other and we brought kids into this world. And so when the lights clicked on for me, it was like, I need to be able to make peace with myself. And by making peace, like I need to mend that relationship because I want to be a part of my kids' world, right? And I want them to have things and have a healthy relationships that I didn't have. 
And so I had to, even though we're not together and now, you know, it's a separate household, but they at least were able to see and are seeing how two people can, can come together and, and, and co-parent, coexist, can mend, you know, bad relationships and, and come back to at least just being, um, if not friendly, but, you know, cordial. Right. Yeah. I mean, that, I think that's one of the hardest things to do. And honestly, that's with that, you know, bad relationship. That was one of the, one of the things I was like, because uh, I, don't, I don't know with her if, if that would have been possible. And so, yeah, I think when you, when you throw uh, things like, oh, we, 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 we had kids together, you, I, that's, man, that's such another level to have to deal with. Okay. Um, and so many people do have to deal with that, that additional, uh, well, forever connection, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and like you and, said, there's just some shit that you, the mess you just can't clean up. And so yeah. you, you have to learn to walk away from it. So, absolutely, you know, being able to have that, that mindset, you know, to recognize, okay, I do need to mend this or let me remove myself because no matter what I do, it's going to be bad. It's going to be messy. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Okay. I, I want to wrap up, but I want to get into the hard part, mm-hmm. right? And so this is losing your teammates. This is dealing with, you know, what we talked about, survivor's remorse, um, and, and working through that. Because I know for me, all of the physical damage that I endured, right, I've somewhat started to heal from it, but losing my two close friends, Emily Perez and Scotty Pace, um, man, that's forever scarred me, you know, so... Um, I, I can only imagine how you feeling. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, those, yeah, I know I had those. Um, and then uh, a member of my uh, scout platoon was uh, in 101st, was killed in IED. He was uh, with, with 7th group. He ended up getting his Green Beret and he was killed. And then uh, the two guys on my team, and then I had uh, another uh one of my medics on my diet team was a great guy. He ended up uh, one of those crazy things, just super healthy triathlete, you know, would run like a 1032 mile combat diver, 18 Delta SF medic, just a badass dude, nice guy, super smart. And he, he's having trouble before deployment um, with some irregular heartbeat and breathing. And they go in and he's got, you know, stage three lung cancer. And, and fights it for years and then ends up, uh, you know, losing that battle after he, he fought so hard. And, and then, uh, another one, my, my soldiers I had on my first team, um, he, he had a twin brother who was uh, in MARSOC who was Marine special operations and, and him and his brother were, they were twins were sort of that, uh, break glass in case of war type of guys, you know, they, they were, they, they were, at they were almost at home uh for better or for worse in combat and you know we're we're the best guys to have with you downrange and the soldier that would give you the most trouble when you were home you just knew you knew it was like man if we can just keep you deployed you're you're gonna be fine but his brother kept you know uh, volunteering to deploy because he was a cct a combat controller for marsoc and those are in short supply so he did something crazy like 12 or 13 afghan deployments over seven years wow. and um you know, end up coming back and 
and killing himself. And that started a downward spiral of, of, you know, Chris and he, he ended up uh, doing the same thing, uh, you know, right here in Clarksville. And, and I knew he was having trouble. Um, I knew, but I, I, I was close with him, but I didn't stay like super close when I, when I got out and, and it's another one of those survivors guilt or remorse. It, it's not just, you know, for people in your unit or for friends. Um, it's also for people we lose through things like suicide or through these bad choices that you, and I think this is something not just for soldiers, for everyone, right? When that does happen to anybody, you're like, God, man, what, what if I just gave him that? What if I gave him a call one time? You know, what if I brought, you start thinking about all the things that you did do or didn't do. And I agree with you. I think these are things that you, you can get better, but there's, there's no cure, <laughs> you know? Um, I think for me, what, what I try to do is uh, I do try to talk about it and share. I think that one of the, if, if you're able to, I think uh, if you're able to, I think you now have an obligation um, to share those stories. And so I take some, uh, I get some comfort or I deal with it almost better. I, I, I in knowing that when I, like I bring uh, Scott and Jason are the two that I killed in that story. And, and I've talked at corporate events and leadership events and I bring that story up and I bring it up when I talk about perspective and I talk about gratitude and not when, when things get hard, you have to realize that pushing through and uh, having gratitude for every day and making every day count. And when, when you're, when you get stressed and work happens, you have to step back and, and realize that your obligation to be your best self isn't just about you, right? It's about, and it's not just about your, your parents or people who helped you because we've all had people in our lives that have helped us get to where we are, have sacrificed. I was raised by a single mother. So to have somebody who sacrificed to get you the opportunity to be where you're at, now you have an obligation to be your best self. And now what I impart to them is because you know the names and the stories of these wonderful human beings who gave up their, their next day, every tomorrow they should have had, and they gave it up for you. Now your obligation to be your best self is to them too. And so, you know, I'm not saying everyone needs to go out and if you're especially to share public, you know, you kind of maybe find your own, but just for me, I found a healthy way to sort of channel that story. And sometimes I can't get through this, you know, corporate speaking event and I have to turn around. I mean, especially the first few times I had to turn around and just kind of let the waterworks happen yep. and, and deal with it. But then when I came back, but that whole experience, I think, was cathartic for me. Um, and I feel like, you know, sometimes I think you have this thing, it's like, what, what's the point? Like, what? Like, because you know what they could, that, per, you know, because I knew the people you're talking about, especially Emily, I mean, fantastic people. And you just think about what they would have done with their life if they could have lived it, right? Like, we all know those people. And we know how great of humans they were. And so we get frustrated when we see other people that have the potential to be great, not living up to it because we know people who sacrificed greatness to give other people their opportunity. And I think that message 
and spreading that message and telling the story of people that were special to you and you knew were great that sacrificed, the more people we can share that message with and have them live better, more intentional lives, that helps me cope. Man, that's, that's powerful. Um, and I, I've literally had to, to do, you know, the same. So, you know, when you talk about, you found your way to honor your friends and lost ones um, and the humbling experience that you had into, into appreciate and have gratitude for just what you have now and the people around you and find joy and comfort in that um, is a big thing. So that, that shift in that mindset, you know, and just understanding that shit is going to happen, right? Yeah. We, we can't, we can't save everyone. We can't be there for everything. Um, but what we can, we know we, we, we will and do our best. And, and, and I think, and I think to add on to that real quick, it, exactly. You said it's to share that for other people of their best, but I know that I still reflect on them when I have hard times. Mm-hmm. So I use it as motivation when I'm, when I'm feeling sorry for myself or I'm tired or, you know, whatever the case may be, I know I reflect back and I feel like all those people that we've lost are like, are sort of like in your corner. <laughs> and so it's no, like, it's no, like me being my best self and contributing my best to the world is no longer about my ego and, and just about what I want to accomplish. Cause it's not about that. It's, I, I now have the obligation to do even more because I have to live up to those standards and know what their potential was. And I need to, I need to use that as, as energy to be able to give more and be more and change the world more. Uh, and, and so when I have hard times, I reflect back and I get, I get strength knowing that I'm not just, I'm doing it, uh, you know, for them as well as me. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, uh, <laughs> that's, that's perfect, man. I, I really appreciate you sharing your story and, and just coming on and talking to me. Um, every one of these talks, it helps me a little bit more, um, you know, personally as well. So I appreciate you sharing uh, in closing or, or just starting to wrap up. What would you want to say to that next soldier or person that's out there that might be going through what you went through, what advice would you give them? I would say uh, it's okay to not be perfect. It's okay to grieve. Um, It's all right to cry. It's all right to ask for help. And, you know, it's to be expected. Like you, you, you held, you held it all in when you were on the wall for everybody else, but you don't have to be on the wall every day, right? Just because you put yourself there and you were strong for that time, that's honorable. That's why people respect what you're doing, what you've done, but you, you don't have to be on the wall all every day. That doesn't have to be normal. That's not normal. And and to be your best self, especially if you're still in or you're, 
and you're going to have to go back into it to be your best self there, to be the best leader of your soldiers, um, to be your best, you know, the best human you can be as a husband, as a father, as a leader in business, whatever it is, uh, you need to, you need to deal with, um, and with these issues and all too often. And we're all like a little too, we think it's selfish, but it's not, it's not selfish. It's selfless to deal with this stuff and recognize it, uh, and and have vulnerability because you're going to have to do it to be the best person for the people you care about. So if you're not going to do it for yourself, you know, do it for the people around you and go find a positive tribe of people and an outlet, um, where you can just, you can be yourself and, and you don't have to, you can step back from being the sergeant, the gunnery sergeant, the captain, you, you, and, and spend some time figuring out who you are separate from, from what you do or what you did. There we go, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> hey, I appreciate you coming on. Um, to everyone out there, this is Greg and Sean with Guards Down saying stay safe, stay focused, and stay engaged. That's what, that's what it's really all about. You know, giving yourself a fighting chance to, to just show what you got.